Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Life Enchanted. My name is Nick Carlisle, and I have the pleasure of being your host as we nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. The goal here is to help you live a better life, my friends. Simple as that. And selfishly, it helps me as well as I am forced to rearticulate things and teach things to you guys and dive deep into content with guests who have valuable wisdom to share with the world. So it is a win-win for both of us. Praise God for the internet. A couple of things before we dive into today's episode. First, hit me up on Instagram, at nick.carlisle, that is. I am very active on there and would love to connect with you guys personally. Also, I encourage you to check out my website. That's www.mylifeenchanted.com. On there, you can inquire about my holistic life coaching services. You can check out the Truth Pack, which is a little something that's been tremendously helpful and valuable for me in my morning routine and in my pursuit to optimize my day. You can also check out some shirts and hoodies I designed. There's a free 25-page eating guide on there, a little PDF I developed. I'll put the link to all of that in the show notes below this episode. Lastly, and most importantly, please leave a rating and possibly write a review of Life Enchanted on whatever podcast platform you're using. I'm trying to grow this thing, and I need you guys to help me do that. You play an integral part there, so sharing any of my content on Instagram or any of these podcast episodes would be so much appreciated, and I will love you forever. But that's enough of the housekeeping items from me. Now let's dive into today's episode. Well, my friends, my guest for this episode is the one and only Autumn Smith, and I so much appreciated this conversation because she's just awesome. She's the co-founder of Paleo Valley, which is a company that produces extremely clean and high-quality supplements and snacks. I love their beef sticks. I love their superfood bars. I love their organ complex. I love all their products. You can use promo code ENCHANTED15 at checkout if you'd like a discount there. Highly recommend them. But Autumn is also a certified eating psychology coach. She's an ex-fitness trainer. She's a speaker. She's a yogi. And she's really just an expert in all things health and wellness. I love her energy. She's an awesome human. She has a great story, and I think that you guys will find some inspiration here. So without further ado, here is my interview with Autumn Smith. So if you don't mind, please share with us some of the events that led you to become so passionate about physical and mental wellness. Yes. Well, I grew up in Montana in a really small town and I had the most loving, wonderful parents. But when I hit my, I became about 10 years old and I started to have a lot of digestive issues. I would wake up in the middle of the night and just have pain. And I remember having my mom take me to the emergency room one time because I, I thought something was seriously wrong with me. And of course, when I got there, they were like, oh, you've got like IBS, you have gas. And I'm like, oh, wow. I just had no idea that it could be that painful. But Mm. It persisted. 
existed despite my diagnosis with irritable bowel syndrome, which essentially is kind of a wastebasket diagnosis, meaning we've ruled out any major pathology, but it looks like you have some sort of uh, stomach problems and it's stress related. So I kind of went about my business and um, my life became a little bit more, you know, unpredictable. I didn't know when I was going to feel good and when I wasn't. And because now we know there's this intimate connection between the gut and the brain and that it's not only like your brain causing you to feel nervous, which changes your gut, but it can actually be changes in your gut when they're unhealthy can actually transmit messages to the brain to create potentially um, mental health issues. Mm. That's what happened with me. And I um, started having anxiety and depression and an eating disorder. And I would actually pass out from time to time in restaurants, on airplanes, in the school I was going to. And so my parents decided, well, we'll take her to a psychiatrist. And I went on all the antidepressants and um, they made me feel terrible. And pretty soon I just resigned myself to the fact that, you know, there was either, you know, something very, very wrong with me and that I wasn't going to be able to live a normal life. And then I was just going to kind of have to, to manage on my own. And the only tool available to me at that time was, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, mm -hmm. drugs, anything I could get my hand on to just like calm my body. Mm -hmm. Um, and that didn't go well, obviously, as you'd imagine. And <laughs> my parents, uh, my behavior was so out of control. My parents kicked me out of the house before I uh, graduated high school. Fortunately, I had a strong foundation and some, you know, terrible things happened to friends of mine who were involved in the lifestyle that I was leading at the time that kind of woke me up. Mm. And when I went to college, I still held on to that love of dance. I grew up a ballerina. Uh, you know, I was still dancing at that time. And I went and, you know, finished college in psychology and dance and moved to Los Angeles and still had this passion for movement that kind of propelled me through even the hardest times. And I landed a job with Tracy Anderson. Um, she's a, a world-class celebrity fitness trainer in Los Angeles. And, and I always had this fit body. And it wasn't until I met my husband and he noticed the pain I was living in uh, mm. because I was always just kind of suffering in silence. I had, like I said, felt like this is just what people did. And he noticed and he wanted to change things for me. And we looked at diet because the doctors ha didn't have answers for us. And to my surprise, my digestive issues were gone in 30 days. <laughs> and over the course of the next year, uh, I was shocked that I also became a very stable, centered, enthusiastic, happy, productive person. Uh, and I didn't need, you know, to drink as much and I didn't want to smoke as much. And my whole life turned upside down with simple dietary changes and the other things I learned. So basically it made me want to quit my job as a fitness trainer and go back and learn how this transformation could have taken place. And ultimately it landed on well, I need to create physical products for people mm. who want to have a busy life like I do uh, and still want to maintain a really healthy, clean, whole foods-based diet. So that's how I got here. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you suffered from those symptoms from about age 10 to like post-college, so like 25-ish. It was about like 15 years. <laughs> yes, it was 15 years. I think I met my husband when I was 27 and I wasn't at my worst but I was still, you know, drinking mm. heavily. And so, yeah, I'd say it was 17 years, 18 years. Wow. 
And like a lot of us are, our vocation is born out of our suffering. And I think that that you are the epitome of that and are doing just such awesome things in the world. Um, And you mentioned diet, how you had this 17 year long struggle. And then within 30 days, a simple diet change seemed to heal a lot of what was going on. Uh, Can you share with us that diet protocol? Yeah, it was so funny. I was so reticent after all the things I'd tried, you know, all the drugs and whatever else. Um, my husband was like, you know, we should try cutting out processed foods. And there was a few people on the internet back in 2008 talking about the paleo diet. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, this is rich. Like, <laughs> I'll do it for you because I love you. But uh, I just didn't have any faith in it. But lo and behold, we that's all we did. We started going to our farmer's market and we focused on fruits and vegetables and really high quality animal products. And I just got rid of, you know, processed foods. I was eating a lot of, of those, um, superfood bars, which are, you know, filled with crazy ingredients and, um, a lot of gluten and a lot of dairy. I think they were two of my biggest culprits. And Mm. we now know that, um, gluten issues can be strictly a neurological thing. You don't even have to have digestive symptomology uh, for it to be affecting you. So it was Mm. just getting rid of the gluten and the dairy and the processed foods. And, um, also, adding in all of the really, really high quality nutrient dense foods uh, that definitely pushed me in the right direction. And I think even further, one step beyond that, once I learned to stabilize my blood sugar in addition to that, because I was still, you know, buying all of the dried fruit and still drinking a lot of like fruit juice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was pretty much addicted to carbohydrates is um, kind of one of the major issues I was struggling with. Once I learned to balance the blood sugar on top of that and eliminate caffeine, I know this is not for everyone and we can get into it. Caffeine is is beneficial for some people, even Mm -hmm. those struggling from certain mental health issues. But but for someone like me, um, who's also a very sensitive system and was already on a blood sugar roller coaster, it was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back mm. in a lot of ways. So caffeine yeah. played a big piece. But yeah, it was, it was essentially the paleo template, which is why we eventually ma- named our company Paleo Valley, mm-hmm. because at that time I thought this must be the holy grail for people. And I do think it's still a great starting place. I don't think it's where everybody needs to end up, Yeah, but it's definitely a place to begin. Agreed. And that's true for me as well. That's what I started with, with the paleo diet, and it helped me tremendous instantly as well. Um, Mm. So I can definitely attest to that. But what is it about the paleo diet that is so healing? Obviously, it's like natural, real foods. We're not putting processed crap into our system, uh, which is, you know, decreasing the amount of inflammation. But dive into that a little bit for us like what is it about the paleo diet that you believe healed you yeah this is such a great topic so sugar like you said and processed foods they're going to create inflammation in our body right and one thing we know about mental health issues or that we are learning is that they can be strictly an immune-based reaction. There's a subset of depressed people for whom inflammation is the trigger. And these are people sometimes who are not responding to traditional medications, but that when you create an immune response, whether that's you know eating processed foods or something you're um, sensitive to, or even gluten and dairy, or any food really, one of my foods is, uh, is actually garlic, um, mm. sets my immune system. Um, I found that out from testing. 
Wow. But essentially, yeah. So in the paleo diet automatically eliminates a lot of the most inflammatory foods for people. Like I said, grains and gluten. Gluten's mm. a big one, but grains can be for some people. I found a lot of people with corn. Corn seems to be mm. something a lot of people react to. Um, dairy too, like I said, um, sugar in excess, you know, and, and more like refined sugar product situations that also contain wheat and other things. Um, and beans and legumes for some people, right? It's mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the state of your gut, how inflammatory or not they are for you, but for a lot of people they can be. And so it was, you know, calming inflammation was a big thing. And also whole foods have so many nutrients and beneficial compounds in them. I wasn't really eating them. And so it's not only the loss of all the things provoking my immune system, but also the addition of the phytonutrients and high quality protein. So Mm. many women and people I work with are not, are under eating protein much to their detriment. Um, And, you know, probiotics and fermented foods and all of these foods that are working with our biochemistry to produce, you know, healthy neurotransmitters transmitters and I'm just a healthy state of our gut. So it's definitely those two things. It's the addition of the foods that are going to nourish us and, and give us all of the nutrients that our body needs and then getting rid of all the inflammatory foods. And also another really big piece that we can dive more into is just the, for a lot of people, when they come onto a paleo diet, their blood sugar is more stable than it has been before. So mm. standard American diet, you know, you're eating, I don't know, two, 200, 300 grams of carbohydrates in a day, probably not enough protein you might be drinking sugary sodas and as a result you are kind of going on this roller coaster all day long and that's a very metabolically expensive process so if you imagine one of the major things i hear from people is i'm so tired mm. and you would be if you're going up and down and your body is having to use its resources and energy just to bring you back into balance so i think something really beautiful and um happens and and happened for me when, you know, blood sugar stabilization starts to occur as well. And that often happens uh, from paleo. Got you. So that's mostly zooming in on the blood sugar component. The reason that we don't want the blood sugar swings is because the metabolic swings require a significant amount of energy, which then causes us obviously to have ups and downs throughout the day. Is that really what it comes down to? Yeah, that is what it comes down to. Well, and also, it's like an emergency situation when your blood, your blood sugar, or your body's obsessed with keeping your blood sugar within a very narrow range. Right? Mm-hmm. We need enough to fuel our cells and to get everything done, but we don't want too much because that's dangerous and it can end up with glycation. And um, that's why diabetics actually have a lot of complications because they have high levels of blood sugar and it's actually creating damage in their blood vessels and through their body, throughout their body, and their eyes and stuff. And so when we give our body stable blood sugar, our body doesn't have to react suddenly, which obviously or often involves stress hormones to bring blood sugar levels down. Mm. It doesn't have to work really hard. Um, A, so the insulin will be working properly, which takes the blood sugar out of the bloodstream and into our cells which is a beautiful process, Mm -hmm. but one that can get tired over time and can lead to something called insulin resistance, which we can get into, which affects pretty much everybody in Mm. America today, unfortunately. But then the second piece of the equation is, is when our blood sugar levels are up, 
and they go up in a big way, which they often do when we eat a lot of carbohydrates, they'll come down suddenly because our body will sense that as an emergency situation or our blood sugar will drop and then we'll have to have stress hormones come in and to raise our blood sugar levels back up to normal. And so it's just a lot of energy and a lot mm -hmm. of stress. And we do not want to be activating our stress system any more than we have to today. We're already dealing with enough. And like you said, it's going to give us that peace and centeredness. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also it's going to preserve our energy for other things that we could create in our lives. Uh, like I said, I was just managing because every day felt like kind of like a, like a battlefield, like this ride I was on that I was not in control of. Mm -hmm. But when you, <laughs> when you have a, a stable blood sugar, it, it often feels much different. All right, my friends, quick pause to shout out one of my favorite clothing companies, Viori. That's V-U-O-R-I. If you know me, you know that I am a sucker for well-fitted, durable, versatile, and stylish clothing, and Viori is just that. And I rock their stuff all the time, whether I'm working out or at the beach or hiking or at church or on a date night with the wife. I feel like I'm constantly wearing Viore. My favorite products right now are their Tuvalu tee, which is probably the best fitting tee I've ever found, uh, their core shorts, and their Ponto performance pants. Viore's goal was to build men's and women's activewear that did not look like activewear, and they certainly achieved that goal. And for listeners of Life Enchanted, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go and get yourself or your loved ones or whoever some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at vioriclothing.com slash enchanted. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash enchanted. Not only will you get 20% off your first purchase, but you will also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns as well. Just go to vioriclothing.com slash enchanted and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I've been wearing a CGM recently and I've been nerding out on just tracking myself with things that when I go in the sauna or where I go in the cold plunge or, you know, d testing different foods and how my body affects to it. I'm curious if you recommend, like you, you mentioned this, this window that our blood sugar should kind of stay in. What, what ballpark numbers all are those? And I know everyone's individually different, but what are we talking there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, when you go to the doctor, they're going to tell you if this is for fasting blood sugar. That means like when you wake up in the morning, at least 12 hours of fasting, you had a glass of water or something. Um, if you're below 126, you're typically not diabetic. You're pre-diabetic. And if you're below 100, you're, you're pretty much considered normal because mm -hmm. 100 is the cutoff for pre-diabetes. But what and that, sorry to interrupt you, but that right there is is problematic in and of itself because if you're getting that test usually once a year on average, if that, I've noticed with my CGM that some mornings I'm I wake up fasted and I'm chilling. I'm like at like 92 or 89, and then some mornings I wake up and I'm fasted and I'm at 115, and yep. I'm trying to put my finger on like, okay, is it the meal that I had last night? Is it the amount of stress and my cortisol is just way up this morning, which is causing this massive release or is it because I didn't work out before I tested this or like so yeah it's it's hard for me to see like hmm well if I get tested once a year and I'm at 115 that for that test that really doesn't tell me that much 
Yes, that's so important. Yeah, that's why I'm a huge champion of the CGM situation. I wear one very often and and it does. It gives you invaluable information. In fact, I have like a group of people I work with and I I require that they get one <laughs> yes. because there's this big big trial out of Israel to show that, you know, they attached I think they had like 800 participants and they had them all wear CGMs and then they had them they gave them the same food. What they found out is it was a very different response even to healthy foods. Hmm. You know, some people who had cookies and their blood sugar was more stable than when they had bananas and what i've found through testing is i can do bananas but i don't do blueberries well and this really? is just yeah and you often, personally yeah it's interesting even though blueberries why. are considered low glycemic and yes. and bananas aren't that's so interesting autumn sorry keep going i know yeah no i thought i find it fascinating and everybody has that and there's also like an a immune component to that sometimes you have a big spike when you're actually sensitive to something so it's not only going to work with mm. your blood sugar but also help you maybe identify foods you're sensitive to so yeah i think it's one of the best things that you can do to really personalize your approach because you are the only one who can find your perfect diet and that's like one of the most valuable tools but when i'm looking at blood sugar you want it below 85 when you are um fasted and here's the thing if you're a low carb person there's something called the the dawn phenomenon where you are potentially like in the 105 range or high 90s range but it isn't always a problem if your other numbers are kind of under control and within range and by that i mean I like to see always below 140. We know that once it goes above 140 and 150 and 160, we have increased risk um, of you know heart-related issues and also cancer. But then also I like to keep mine below 120 all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's really simple. We can talk about how you do it. And I have actually found the whole experience to be very liberating mm-hmm. because um, mm-hmm. I found the hacks that you can eat a lot of things with a few small um, changes and it can actually work out well for you. So fasting, you want to 85 and below, ideally, and then below 120, um, ideally after a meal, like within two, three hours, you want it back to your baseline, mm-hmm. and then always um, below 140. And if not, then you just you have to learn some tricks to kind of normalize it. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed is with creatine, which is a very popular <laughs> supplement and a safe supplement from what I've seen in the research and one of the most well-researched supplements as well and something that's helped me with cognitive function and energy and muscle development and all that, that seems to clean up my blood sugar really quickly. Oh, I haven't tested that, but it would make sense. And yeah, there are a lot of uh, cool benefits. And I've noticed for me, it's just protein. Like I wasn't Hmm. eating, I would always do like a, you know, lettuce wrap. We actually just opened a burger restaurant in um, Boulder. And so I was like, I want to see if I can have the gluten-free bun when I did my CGM. And I found out I can when I pair it with adequate protein. I can eat, you know, a lot of things, but yeah, so 30 grams of protein, 40 grams of protein in a meal. I had forgone like bread for a really long time and I don't, I still don't eat a lot, but it's interesting. Protein is one of the best things that you can do. And I'm going to have to test with creatine now that you said that. Yeah. Glycine also too. Bone broth is really great for your blood sugar too. Even if you do it like before a meal, um, it's been shown to help keep everything really, really stable thereafter or, you know, more stable than if you hadn't. Very interesting. Yeah. The creatine, what I found, the way that I found this is, well, A, creatine says to take it with fruit juice, which is a clue there. And B, (laughs) when I'm pretty big on intermittent fasting and I was taking creatine while fasted in the morning and I usually don't eat till about like noon or something. And 
if I take creatine while fasted, come like 11 a.m., I am dead, dead tired. Like I hit a absolute brick wall and can barely move because I feel like it's just uh. a blood sugar, complete depletion. Um, and it was brutal. So I started mixing like in, in a little bit of honey into my morning latte that I've been making when I do take creatine in the morning. And that's been helping with that energy depletion. Um, but yeah, super interesting. The blood sugar thing is, is fascinating. And the sauna too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is it because of the cortisol release that releases yep. all the blood sugar. Your body's just kind of like freaking out like, Hey, we're about to die. Let's release all reserves and flood the system with energy so that we can get the hell out of this, you know, hot box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that what it comes well, yeah. down to? <laughs> essentially? Yeah. Because it is like, it's a cardiovascular workout essentially that you're doing in the sauna. So it is a stressor. It's a good stressor. It's a hormetic stressor, you mm-hmm. know, if you keep it in within certain parameters, but yes, it is perceived by the body as, you know, kind of like an emergency state or something that you're going to need to reserves to <laughs> escape. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Sure. Very yeah. interesting yeah. stuff. I want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned um, how you noticed that garlic is one of the foods that you don't do well with. And you, you said you had it tested. And I'm curious if you use one of these tests that are out there like Viome or uh, what is it like Everly Well or mm, whatever mm-hmm. or how, how did you test that and see that yeah it's interesting so food sensitivity test is what I use and initially like now I'm a FDN practitioner so I can order tests for people but before I just went to my local naturopath and she did a Great Plains lab IgG test mm-hmm. and garlic which I was juicing at the time because my husband and I thought you know maybe <laughs> maybe my skin issues were because of candida and we were going to use it it's antibacterial and antifungal properties anyway yes so it was just a plain old IgG test now uh, there is you know different opinions on how accurate these tests are. And there's a lot of different tests. There's like Cyrex lab, there's, um, Everly well, which is a little more consumer friendly because you could just order it. Uh, there's great plains lab. That's like an IgG and IgG is just an immunoglobulin. Basically like that your body is, it, it kind of signals like, okay, you're reacting to this. And then there's like an MRT test, um, that's based on, um, another aspect of the immune system. So lots of different tests. I use them. It's not where I start always. I think an elimination diet is mm-hmm. if you're willing to do that, that's kind of the gold standard because, you know, you can either take out one food at a time, which I don't recommend. I think taking out as many foods as you think might be contributing and then re-adding them are, mm-hmm. is the best way to go. But certain people aren't willing to do that. And so I do think there is still some validity. I've been working with this one guy and he's been so reticent to give up wheat. He just was convinced that had no problem in his health challenges. <laughs> and so I finally made him take a test and he was definitely reacting to it. And it was the one thing that finally made him listen. <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> I couldn't talk him into an elimination die so whether or not it's useful to you will just depend on who you are but but i do find that even though they aren't 100 accurate all the time they do provide some pretty valuable insight and motivation at yeah. times yeah i i got yeah. the viome test done and that was super interesting but i also want to get an igg test just to see what that populates as well and then kind of cross-reference between the two and see what's up but yeah, yeah. let's yeah. let's double click on the gluten for a second um 
I interviewed uh, Dr. Tom O'Brien, and he is super passionate that gluten is terrible for everyone because of leaky gut, because it's a protein that basically causes holes inside of the lining of your gut and causes all these bigger, you know, uh, particles to get in your system and cause inflammation. Um, so are you of the same opinion that gluten is bad for everyone or Oof. how do you look at gluten? Yeah. You know what? I don't, I, in my practice, there are people who still do eat gluten. I, I think it's important to take a period of time and experiment with it. I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? You're going to just take it out for 30, 60, 90 days, see if you notice any difference. Um, often people do, but I, I, I don't think it's a problem for everyone. I'm going to say that. Mm -hmm. But what I, I also think is that a lot of people suffering with mental health issues don't understand that it can be a strictly a, a neurological symptom, and I'll define that in a second, but they often think, oh, well, if I'm not having digestive issues, uh, then it can't be for me. But there are some crazy hmm. stories like this woman in Portugal who um, was, you know, she was normal and then she was, her kids noticed some pretty erratic behavior. Like she was asking for money in the streets and smoking cigarettes and like eating bird feces at one time and running around what? naked all of a sudden. And they got, they admitted <laughs> her to a hospital. It's a crazy yeah. story. And they couldn't figure out what could be causing it. But lo and behold, it was um, a celiac. She wow. was very, very sensitive. And so she didn't even believe herself that this could be causing it. And so a few times she'd go back to the gluten and her behavior would again deteriorate. So, yes, I think. Wow. And we know that people, even people who are schizophrenic, have more antibodies to gluten. And they kind of made this connection back when um, – after the world, after the war, when people didn't have as much gluten, like the rates of mental health illness kind of went down, and mm. they attributed it to not they didn't have the availability of bread and gluten related uh, foods that they used to. So definitely a connection. My little guy, he actually has um, ticks. And it is cl very clearly tied to whenever he has gluten. Now, I don't make him never eat gluten. He'll go to a birthday party and he'll have it. But we can expect that he will have some neurological symptoms as uh, a repercussion. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's true for everybody. But I do think it is a very low risk um, strategy to try if you do suffer from any sort of mental health, digestive, neurologic, all of these symptoms that you can't seem to find the root cause of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a gluten intolerance could manifest as only neurological symptoms, mental health issues, maybe brain fog or something, and your, your digestive tract could feel relatively normal. Yes. And I've even had a client I worked with one time and we found out, and this is another thing that's really important to know, your symptoms won't necessarily be immediate, you know, unless you have an, a full-blown allergy because an allergy is different than a sensitivity. So for my, my guy, my little son, it's about a two-day period before he'll see the symptoms after we have an exposure. Wow. For this guy, it, is a, it was five days. It was wow. five days for him from the time that he ate bread or whatever else until he would have a, basically a panic attack. And so Whoa. once we, you know, he took it out, he, he started to notice that pattern. Oh my gosh. And so we, we worked that out. But yeah, just know that yeah. if you don't immediately feel better or you don't immediately feel bad as a result of eating gluten, that doesn't necessarily mean it still isn't causing some symptoms for you. Totally. Yeah. And that's, it's difficult to, to just like, uh, subjectively or just on your own experience, just like connect those two dots. Oh, five days ago, 
I had pizza yeah. and then, you know, today I'm having a panic attack. You would not think those two are related. So that's really interesting and, and helpful for me personally. So thank you for that. Wow. So, yeah, and I got to say go, one more piece on that just please. for people who, yeah, it's like there's something called the rotation diet. And for some people who are just like, I just can't even fathom giving it up forever. Uh, it take, takes your immune system like three, you know, everyone's immune system is different, but on average three to four days to kind of handle um, uh, an inflammatory reaction. So you can add foods in on a rotational basis, like every four days or something like that, and kind of minimize the deleterious consequences. Now, if mm. you're celiac, that is definitely not a thing I want you to do. That's different. But I'm just saying minimizing and spacing out the times mm. that you eat them could also be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. How quickly does the gut start to heal itself when you eliminate a lot of processed and highly concentrated foods? Because I've heard different things here. And even as, as quick as like two days, the microbiome starts changing and repopulating. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. You know what? That's so fascinating because I know, oh, what is his name? I think it was Tom Spector, maybe Tim Spector did this study where he actually had his son eat fast food just to see what would happen to his microbiome. And it was within 24 hours that the mm. changes became evident. Whoa. So in terms of the changes, I think they're very fast, right? And your bugs are just, you know, your microbiome is responding to what you're eating. And when you're eating simple sugars, refined sugars, you're, you're selecting for um, pathogenic bacteria to emerge and to prevail. And that's that's essentially what happens. Now, when it comes to gut healing, I think that's a different uh, subject because it depends on the level of gut destruction that you're kind of dealing with. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're talking about coming in and eliminating all the foods that are inflammatory for you, I think, yeah, 30 days was enough for me. But I think you will still see pretty pronounced changes within a week. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it depended upon your symptomology. Will all of your symptoms be gone in a week? No, it depends on who you are and the extent of your, you know, whatever you're dealing with. But I think 30 days. And sometimes when I work with people, it takes a few months because they have a symptom like, uh, you know, diarrhea or constipation that they've been dealing with for years. Mm -hmm. So but I do think it, it, it can be, you know, 24 hours, you can see changes and it can definitely a month of really committed uh, dedication can be very, very powerful and definitely catapult you in the right direction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it happens quickly. And, and if the way that I think about it, the logic that I use is that so and you kind of referred to this is that when you when you don't put the process uh, junk in your system, those the pathogenic bugs, they essentially die off, right? Because they have nothing to feed on, which yeah. means to me that the good bugs, the good bacteria, don't feed on processed foods and those prefer the plant fibers the plant compounds to feed on is that accurate like good can yes. i guess my question is can good bugs feed on crap food junk food oh that is a great question and i don't think i've ever looked into that specifically i'm i'm guessing they might be able to a little bit yeah. derive yeah i would say probably yeah. But I would say you're still going to end up with the bad bacteria eating as well and probably edging them out eventually. There's this thing called dysbiosis where you want 85% of your bugs to be of the not pathogenic variety, like good mm -hmm. bugs, right? Mm -hmm. So when you get over 15% of those bad bugs, you have what's called, you know, dysbiosis. Um, that's loosely defined. But anyway, yeah, I think they mm -hmm. probably could derive some, but definitely you're going to have a lot of competition 
and they're probably not going to outnumber or be able to fight off the bad bacteria that might still create dysbiosis. Yeah, very interesting. And for people, just we're not talking about a small number of bugs here. I've I've heard that it's about yeah. five pounds of bugs in your digestive tract at any time, and that also we are outnumbered human cells to bacterial cells uh or bacteria um like I, I think there's we're more bacteria than we are human i'm not sure if that's been proven but i know that's said a lot so it's it's a good number of bugs and another way that i've come to think about it and i'd love to hear just your insight or opinion on this is that it's not necessarily about like there's this emphasis of probiotics and you know fermented foods which are awesome and kombucha and all that but a lot of us are just focusing on these probiotics and we're not getting a lot of prebiotics so we're putting these different species uh, down there but then they just die because they don't have anything to feed off and I've heard people say like that it's it's more wise to focus on the prebiotic kind because are the prebiotics because those go down and feed the good bacteria and the and when they feed they reproduce and that's the key right there is that when you feed them they reproduce meaning they grow bigger in number and then uh, ultimately get to that ratio of 85-15, hopefully. Um, so there's like this emphasis on prebiotics. What are your thoughts there? Oh, I like that question. So my emphasis is always on like, are you talking prebiotic foods or prebiotic supplements? Uh, okay, both. I mean, I, I, I'm okay. not like, so I, I supplement with inulin, which I guess is kind of a supplement and a food. I just put it in my coffee and stuff, just mm -hmm. inulin powder. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just prebiotics in general, I would say. Yeah, cool. So my approach is always very food forward. So I would say, you know, getting your onion and your Jerusalem artichoke and mm -hmm. um, those are amazing ways. Your potato, your banana, getting your food-based prebiotics into your diet is great. Now, I totally agree that um, you want to have, want to use both eventually, but I did have a really fascinating conversation with Dr. Michael Ruscio, um, and he said for people who have dysbiosis or some sort of bacterial overgrowth happening, sometimes putting prebiotics supplements, mm. and, and this is specific to supplements, into the equation too soon will actually kind of perpetuate uh, the bacterial overgrowth. And so it will depend on who you are. If you have a healthy, stable microbiome and you're not suffering from SIBO or something like that, I think, yes, adding prebiotics is a great way to go. Also adding probiotics, I think is beneficial too. But if you are someone who has this bacterial imbalance already, sometimes it can be helpful to find a great probiotic, nail it down, and then handle the bacterial overgrowth or whatever you're dealing with, and then bring the prebiotics in later. So I think it Again, just kind of depends on who you are. Yep. But I do think both are important. And I think prebiotics from food um, are the best way to go. But I do sometimes supplement too, especially this is interesting for ladies. If I bring the prebiotic supplements in, um, in the first half of my cycle, I've noticed my cravings in the last part of my cycle are, are diminished. Really interesting. So you said prebiotics? Yes. I do like a, a green banana kind of powder that I'll just add mm. to my smoothies. And it does, it um, makes my PMS cravings the week before um, so much less pronounced. It's, it's pretty crazy. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've heard that. So you have a green banana powder. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard green bananas are like one of the best things that you could possibly consume just because of the prebiotics fiber that's going down there. It's just an absolute feast for the healthy gut bacteria. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do we, or how do you, I should say, think about the, the chemical imbalance approach to mental health? This idea that, hey, because you have some experience with SSRIs, it sounds like, and that was kind of the first wave um, of, of ways to attack what you were going through. Um, and there's a lot of people who think like, yeah, like it's a serotonin issue. Like I, like I said, I'm a high school teacher and I know I have a lot of friends with kids who have mental health disorders and I have a lot of students who have mental health disorders and I know a lot of them are on SSRIs and just trying to figure it out. How, how do you think about that occurring in our society today? Mm, I love this question and it's, uh, it's so nuanced, right? So mm-hmm. I was someone for whom they did not work well because I would literally have one thought an hour. I'm this, you know, excitable girl with a lot of emotional range, right? I get very happy sometimes. I'm also very sad sometimes. I became someone who just kind of was there. Mm. I wasn't really experiencing anything. My All my emotions were dampened. So I think coming from someone who didn't have a good experience with them, um, that there needs to be a bigger conversation that we were given this idea that there's a chemical imbalance that we can correct simply with a pharmaceutical more by the pharmaceutical companies who stand a profit from these than actual any, you know, real specific nailed down scientific understanding. Uh, the fact that, you know, depression can be cured by these medications hasn't really ever been proven. And we know they work well for, you know, 40 to 50% of the people who use them, but there are still a lot of people that they do not work for. And they have pretty gnarly side effects sometimes for people like they did for me. But also we know that there's like an increased risk of suicidal attempts in kids. There's GlaxoSmithKline mm-hmm. was actually fined for still pushing their product despite a knowledge of this link. And I talked to Dr. Elena Villanueva and she works specifically in this um, area of um holistic psychiatry. And she said, Mm. what happens when we put kids on these meds is that it interferes with the development of their frontal lobe. Mm. And the frontal lobe is kind of the part of the brain that's like our governor. It's like, we might all have the idea, oh, wow, I'm so angry, I'm going to go out and shoot someone. Uh, But our frontal lobe tells us, let's not do that. You might Mm -hmm. have that idea. It's not a good one. But when we put kids on the meds too early, that doesn't ever kick in. And then she believes that's one of the big reasons that we're dealing with um, violence in schools. And we We also know that five of the 10 most violence inducing drugs are antidepressants. And um, there's some websites, um, SSRI stories and murder meds, where people share stories of what has happened to them and how they've um, changed as a result of these medications. They also change the architecture of the brain quickly. And so for me, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. For people in my family, it can work. And I've seen it help people. My mom was a special ed teacher. There are definitely circumstances where they are something we can lean on, right? They can Mm -hmm. be very helpful. And I don't want to dismiss that they've done good Mm -hmm. for certain people. But I don't think they're the answer for everyone. And until we can better understand and predict how um, people will respond, I think we need to shift the conversation to include other things, you know, lifestyle, diet, sleep. Uh, These other things need to be a part of the conversation, too. Yeah. Yeah. It seems illogical to throw a pill at something prior to addressing just fundamental lifestyle habits and behaviors like, you know, let's. Well, yeah. 
And it doesn't address the root cause because there's yeah. a reason. There's a reason that you are feeling this way. And um, when you, it's kind of like this example some people give where it's like some people, if you might drink alcohol, right, before a social setting and it might make you feel calm. And maybe if you ran a randomized clinic, you know, trial, you'd find that, yeah, alcohol does in fact help with social anxiety. Mm-hmm. But what else is it doing? And what are you not doing that could actually make this better in the long term? Yeah. Yeah. What are you not addressing? What What is the real yes. cause of the social anxiety that you're not addressing that will help you actually put a permanent fix on it instead of this Band-Aid alcohol solution? Exactly. That, yeah, so that, my- that frontal lobe point that you brought up is super interesting, and I've never heard it talked about and associated with SSRIs, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh yeah. And, and I mean, the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex is like what we are trying to build up and strengthen and thicken in meditation. Um, you know, it's like the rational, like, you know, logical, the, it's like the witness component of our mind where we're able to kind of zoom out and get detached from emotion. And if we are preventing kids from detaching from emotion and being able to take the witness standpoint, that's super problematic. And as we know, the the brain grows from the brainstem forward. So I, I tell my students often, I, mostly my female students, I tell them, I'm like, hey, the bo- I, I hear them talking about boys or drama or boyfriend-girlfriend <laughs> relationships and stuff. And, I'm, and I always tell them, like, girls, guys have legitimate rocks inside of their head until they're about like 25, 26. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. That was true for me. And, and science kind of proves that because our frontal lobe, like we're so emotional, we're so in our emotion centers of our brain because our frontal lobe hasn't developed yet. Like that's the last thing to develop. It, it develops from the brainstem forward. Um, so if we're, you know, stacking these SSRIs into kids' brains that prevent that from happening, man, that, that just has a whole, yeah, that's very very insightful and interesting to me. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Wow. Yeah. And I wanted to add that and and I can't confirm this because I, you know, obviously you, I don't have the resources, but in our podcast, she did mention that everyone who has committed a, um, school shooting was on some sort of, um, antidepressant or some sort of psychiatric med. And yeah, you might be able to say, well, it's because they had the mental health issues that they needed the meds and maybe, Mm -hmm. and maybe, but Mm -hmm. it could also be, this uh, interference with the frontal lobe development that is um, kind of crippling the judgment of our of our adolescents and teens. Yeah. Wow. So if you don't mind, speak to the parent of the teenager who who's having mental struggles right now. Like, mm. w- how should they approach their kid? Mm, gosh, yeah, this is so hard, isn't it? Okay, mm-hmm. so the first thing I would say is, is is study your child. Now, I only have a six-year-old, but he feels like a teenager, and I'm sure I'm going to get <laughs> – I'm going to really understand that soon. <laughs> but what I do with him, because he's a challenge, just like me, in the best way. Mm-hmm. He's, he's awesome. But what I did is I you study your child, and you get to know their struggles. You understand their temperament. For me, he's a very more melancholic. I'm pretty upbeat, and he that's just not where he where he lives, and that's okay. Um, but no, what are the biggest challenges for him on a daily basis? What is he most afraid of? What makes him feel better? What are the antecedents to whatever behavior you're really struggling with? Just kind of like opening the conversation and trying to really um, become a detective and a pattern finder for your child so that you can understand from them. The other one is um, 
normalizing feelings. We have so much going on in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, everyone is feeling out of sorts and and probably sadder or experiencing emotions they haven't in a long time. But I think it's really important to talk about those. And I make a point with my guy Maverick to tell him, well, mommy did not have a good day today. And mommy is mm. feeling a little sad about this. And, um, is there anything, what we do at our family is we have a rose of the day and a thorn. Mm. What went well today and what was terrible and just kind of training them to know emotions are part of life and we don't want you to be always happy. That is unrealistic. That Mm -hmm. is never going to happen. And these bad emotions, they're uncomfortable, but they're teaching us. They're pointing us in a new direction. Um, they are feedback that we need to experience and we need to share. And so just like having this like emotional friendly, uh, zone in our house as well. Also helping them learn to self-regulate. This was something that I really struggled with, obviously, um, having, a lot of um, addictions and leading on alcohol and everything else. But had I known that I could, A, you know, like you said, become the witness, stay curious about my emotions rather than judging them or fighting them, and then have tools to calm myself down, deep breathing, you know, Mm. journaling, meditating, um, teaching them these skills. And another thing that's really important with that, with teaching them self-regulation, is yourself regulating yourself and sharing with them how you do that and how maybe when you're triggered, you, you take a pause. Mm. That's one of my favorite things to do with my little guy is just like take that pause and then, you know, decide and act from there. And then also, of course, getting them a counselor if they need to, bringing in other family members, um, sometimes other adults and other people of support are able to reach your child in ways that you can't. And and I also, also really share stories of um, the struggles that I went through and um, how I overcame them and just keeping that channel open. And then, of course, lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. Sleep, making sure they're sleeping, making sure they're getting outside, making sure they're not having too many stimulants, mm-hmm. sugar and caffeine, maybe trying a paleo diet if they're open and willing, um, maybe, um, you know, making sure that their blood sugar is stable or mm-hmm. when you provide them with foods, teaching them you just don't have naked carbohydrates, right? If you're going to have a carbohydrate, pair it with protein. I think just teaching them about the way food impacts them, about the way that emotions will come and go and they're part of our existence. And then also having them learn how to study themselves, right? That we are always learning about what we need and that need will change. And we have to become advocates for ourselves. We have to start tuning in and we have to be detectives. Um, I think those are some of the things that uh, I use with my little guy. And so yeah, I love that flow. Like start with the basics. Let's be real with them. Let's be present with them. Let's study them. Let's get to know them. Let's be attentive to them and show them, give them our attention and that vulnerability piece from our end. Show them that we are struggling. Let them hear us say sorry to our spouse or let them hear that we have been struggling this week and then build up and and then say, let's let's look at adopting some new lifestyle changes, some new diet changes and building, building building and then perhaps moving on to okay let's uh get some pharmaceuticals uh involved if necessary but really starting from the basics and working your way up to that instead of like oh my gosh my kid's having a hard time i'm just gonna put them on you know three different drugs now and see if it helps I know. And I think it is just such a disservice that we've been taught this. Oh, well, they just have a chemical imbalance. Yeah. And I think if we realize, no, that isn't 
people want us to believe it's that simple. It's often not. There's a reason. Um, and we're all struggling a little bit right now. So yeah, mm-hmm. if we can normalize that conversation. And my dream is that one day, like we teach these things in schools to kids. Like, yes. We actually have edu- like education around nutrition and about lifestyle. And my health program was just, just didn't cover any of this, but yeah, if yeah. we can put them, give them that gift and then, you know, reserve medications and things when, you know, that isn't enough. I think that's, uh, would be my dream. Totally. Yeah. And if, even if it is a chemical imbalance, I mean, what, what does food do? It's information for the body that creates u- unique chemistry in the body. So let, yes. let's, let's fix yes. that chemical imbalance with the food and then we'll see if we need to throw some foreign substances at it to, to help out. Um, yes. And if, some I'm of sorry, just, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I just feel like, um, Dr. Georgia E she always says that like yes it's a chemical imbalance but these chemicals come from what you're eating and like <laughs> yeah. you just said and so if anyone's interested she's actually like a, i want to refer you to her too she's a, a harvard trained psychiatrist and she uses food as medicine and she's just a, a brilliant part of this conversation so i just wanted to share say that say her too. name again her name's dr georgia eads georgia it's E-D-E. Eads. beautiful yeah. and speaking of foods that influence our systems organ meats are highly nutrient dense and seem to be really good for our systems and our chemical uh, balancing talk to us about organ meats like there's people on instagram right now like the liver king who's only smashing liver and is <laughs> a, a complete giant i'm not sure what that dude has going on have you seen him you know what? My husband just got into it and he will watch it. And I'm just like, whoa, like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's next level, right? It is. I love him. He's teaching people about organ meats, but he's he's definitely living a lifestyle that I'm not living. But. <laughs> That's true paleo. If you guys, listeners, if you haven't uh, seen Liver King, do yourself a favor. My brother and I are in debate whether or not my man is uh, on on anything else besides liver, but I mean, we'll never find out. <laughs> but, yeah, I wish I, I can't add anything. I have no idea about that. But, but yeah, he's on to something in that he is making it really fun to learn about and entertaining to learn about organ meats. And, and the thing is, I think there's this big push away from animal products of any sort right now, which really kind of actually scares me. But we know gram for gram, like liver, is the most nutrient dense food in the on the whole planet like mm. we always think of uh you know vegetables and and it's not it's it's liver when um all things are considered so many times we didn't really talk about it but nutrient deficiency can lead to mental health issues specifically vitamin b12 there's a lot of really fascinating case studies where people's mental health issues even very serious ones were corrected by addressing uh, a b12 deficiency so um they even did studies in columbia university in 2018 and liver organ meats poultry giblets all these foods that no one's eating these are some of the most mental health protective foods Mm. so the reason liver is so powerful is because it gives us those nutrients in kind of huge quantities compared to muscle meat and compared to things like carrots and fruits and vegetables. So when we add even small amounts of them, they give us a wealth of nutrients. They also have this anti-fatigue factor and um, that, uh, you know, it's it's almost indescribable. You just feel like you have this endurance and this stamina that you didn't before. And also a lot of iron-related or iron dysfunction is related to mental health issues. Um, And because liver contains iron and also vitamin A and copper, which actually work along with the iron to create, um, you know, to 
raise our iron levels to where we want them. Um, it actually is really adept at curing iron-related issues. And some people in the 1930s actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for this discovery that liver was actually able to cure pernicious anemia. So there's a lot of th- reasons that you'd want to eat them, but the taste for me was not one of them. <laughs> and I could not get past it. So we put liver, heart, and kidney from grass-fed and finished animals um, into capsules so people could actually re-embrace this like lost tradition that all of our ancestors were capitalizing on, um, eating nose to tail and eating these, they actually preferentially consumed them because they knew how valuable they were. And there was also like this uh, intuitive wisdom or um, tradition where if you had an eye problem, you'd eat an eyeball and, you Mm. know, liver would be great for people with liver issues. It's called like um, cures like. And what they found is that the organs are actually reservoirs for the minerals and nutrients that those organs need to function, which totally makes sense. So, um, Lots of different reasons to use them, but in our culture, we've kind of tossed them by the wayside. And so what we're trying to do is just make them popular again so people can get all their benefits. Totally. Yeah. And the liver in the pill form, that delivers a lot of the the benefits that we're looking for. Like that is a good substitution for consuming actual liver. Absolutely. I think it is. Yeah, they're freeze dried. It's literally from grass fed and finished animals and then freeze dried and just put into capsules with no filler. So food is always a great way to go. If you can get into eating liver, do it. But Mm -hmm. if you're someone like me who tried it a million different ways, um, I used to freeze the balls and throw them into my throat or just tell Mm -hmm. my husband to not tell me if he was (laughs) cooking them. And I always knew. But yeah, yeah, it's the next best way uh, to get organ meats in your diet for sure. Yeah. Well, we could talk forever and we're running out of time and I have some questions uh, that I'd love to get to towards the end. But before we get to these questions, tell the listeners where they can find you online, Autumn. Yeah, you can find me at paleovalley.com and wildpastures.com. We also just opened a burger restaurant in Boulder, so Wild Pastures Burger Company. Um, And you can always reach out to me directly at autumn at Paleo Valley with any sort of feedback whatsoever. I I love to hear from everybody. Totally. Yeah, and you are super responsive and, as you know, high energy and super likable, and I just love what you're doing. So thank you. What does the first hour of your day look like, Autumn? The first hour of my day, this is great. This is my favorite, one of my favorite hours. I wake up and I have gratitude. I I always name the three things that I'm grateful for. Um, I'm sure you've talked about a million times, but gratitude just, you know, reinforces those pathways that help you see things that are going well in your life. And then it is spent without a phone, just with my, my son, um, and my husband. It's Mm. like our kind of like our golden hour. We play, we read books and we do whatever the day is calling us to do, but it's just family time. That's awesome. And no caffeine. I don't drink caffeine ever. You know what? I use it therapeutically sometimes, but I always regret it because I experienced this like deep fatigue like you know essentially like caffeine's buying you time right mm-hmm. it's taking from you know today and then you're gonna pay for it tomorrow um so no if i have to a project i really need to get done i'll use some green or white tea for a day or two but yeah that's, but it's definitely never a daily thing that's a very important point that you just brought up people think that caffeine creates energy no yeah. it borrows energy yeah, <laughs> it yeah, borrows yeah. energy people need to be aware of that and Are, you push past what you're capable of normally so it kind of like divorces you from 
what you know your body would probably like to be doing totally totally yeah the caffeine roller coaster is is a struggle <laughs> but people like you who have kicked it inspire inspire me to do so so we'll see what happens <laughs> are there over the side, yeah. are there any books uh from any genre that you would recommend <laughs> me and or the listeners to check out you know what the one book that i read every single year is the four agreements mm. i love that book yep. um i Highly recommend that book. Uh, and then maybe this year, gosh, the two books that really stand out to me this year. One was Dopamine Nation. Have you read that? I haven't, but I've heard it talked about. Very interesting. Yeah. It's really, really good. So Dopamine Nation. And then another one is an oldie but a goodie. And it's about, it's called Nourishment. Mm. And there's this really genius man named Dr. Fred Provenza. And I just learned about him. And he learns the ways that the different ways that we feed animals and what that means for their experience and how they self-medicate, but also how it translates into different nutrient profiles in um, their products. And it's, it's mm. a lot about secondary compounds and they're these nutrients that we've really, they're, they're called secondary, but they should really be primary. So it's this kind of like emerging field of um, animal husbandry and how do we create the best possible scenario for the planet, the animals and the people who eat them. And he also talks about the ways that not having these secondary compounds, which you'll find in animal products when they're consuming a really nutrient-dense, diverse diet, can actually be an important part of satiety, that maybe mm. we're looking for these nutrients that we haven't been consuming um, when we're overeating and things like that. So anyway, that's a good Very one. Very interesting. Yeah. And I'm. we may have to do a part two if you'd be up for it, because I do want to dive into the regener regenerative, regenerative agriculture um, yes. of what you guys are doing in soils and grass fed versus grain fed and all that i know you're you're very uh well read and knowledgeable about that stuff so perhaps we can chat about that a different time yeah i would love that oh. it's another one of my favorite topics heck yeah what are you excited about right now oh gosh i'm excited because um i see people waking up in a way and being um making their health a priority mm. in a way that I don't think they have before the pandemic. And I also see, I'm really excited about regenerative agriculture. I think we're at a time, we're at a turning point, right? It's mm -hmm. estimated we have 60 years of topsoil left and um, we as consumers mm -hmm. are powerful agents of change when we choose to be because we're always voting for something no matter what we're buying, right? When yep. we're buying food, we're voting for feedlots or voting for regenerative agriculture. And so I see people waking up to that idea. I'm also very excited about that. And I'm also finishing my doctorate. I should be done in the next few months. Let's go. Um, yes, I'm really excited to be done with that and then just to be able to channel my energy into getting the word out um, and how to make people excited about all those things. Good for you, Autumn. That's amazing. I'm stoked for you. You're doing awesome things. And again, I love your energy. I love what you're doing. Um, I highly recommend everyone check out everything that you have going on. I'll put links to all of it in the show notes. Autumn, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. You're so welcome, Nick. And likewise, I love what you're doing. Your energy's amazing. I'm so glad we connected. And also, if they want to um, check out our products, um, that we have to offer, we can use Enchanted15 is the code for Sweet. you to support Nick. Um, and yeah, just thank you for everything you're doing too. Awesome, guys. Yeah, thank you so much, Autumn. I appreciate that. All right, guys, links to everything in the show notes. Till next time.
A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the music heard throughout this episode. Also, a big shout out to Capital Floats, aka my favorite sensory deprivation and float tank facility in Northern California. I'm a frequent user there, and the experience is always transformative to say the least. If you're interested in floating and live in Northern Cal, make sure you use promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout on their website. You'll save a whopping 40% off your first float and you will not find that deal anywhere else. Also, in regards to some of the content shared in these episodes, make sure you always consult your doctor before making any sudden diet or lifestyle changes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram at nick.carlisle or send me an email nick at mylifeenchanted.com. 